Hello and welcome to VoIP for Independent Telecoms, the podcast for local service providers who want to offer great services on a resilient network. I'm your host, Andrew Ward, and I'm joined today by Jim McCarthy, president of Northland Communications. Welcome, Jim. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, for those listening who don't know who you are and don't know anything about Northland, um, could you start by sharing a little bit about yourself and Northland Communications? Uh, certainly. So Northland Communications, we're an ILEC and a CLEC located in central New York. Our ILEC was founded in 1905, Oneida County Rural Telephone. Small ILEC uh, rural community. We have about 1,200 access lines and about 1,500 internet or broadband customers. About 1,400 of those are served via fiber. So we still have some DSL customers, but we're trying to trying to get moved to our fiber network. Absolutely. Yep. Our CLEC is the larger part of our organization. It's about 95% of our customers. It's, we focus primarily on business customers, and our primary markets are Utica and Syracuse, New York, and the surrounding the communities that surround them. Uh, for a little over about the last 12 years, we've been building, building out our fiber optic network for, uh, for our CLEC. It's about 600 miles in length, built into around 1,800 different uh, unique buildings. And it could be a single business location or a uh, multi-tenant type location. Excellent. Cool. Well, thank you. That's that's great. And that gives us a, a good picture. And I think you've been leading Northland for about the last 12 years. So I'm guessing that more or less coincides with the fiber rollout. Yeah. Uh, it's 2009. I, um, I became president. Although it's a family business, I'm third generation. So I've been in the business my whole life. So 1905 was a great, great, great grandparent of yours or something along those lines? No, it almost started like a co-op. Uh, community members started um, bringing the kind of connect some communities and my grandfather started working for an Ida County Rural Telephone somewhere around 1920. Okay. And then ended up acquiring the company in 1926. Gotcha. Okay. Very cool. I love that history. So there are actually a couple of different reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Partly, I wanted to talk about your recent experiences of launching UCAS, which I think will be interesting to a lot of people who you know are trying to do that or um, are thinking about doing it. But I also want to spend some time later talking about organizational management, if you like, which I think will be really valuable for anyone listening who's you know leading a team or an organization and within a company. So let's start, though, with, with UCAS. As I understand it, you launched a kind of UCAS service offering maybe around three to four years ago, is my vague recollection. Is that right? Yes, uh, we did, uh, probably about four years ago. Okay. And Maybe to start, could you paint me a picture of what your service offerings looked like before you made that decision? So where, where were you starting from? Sure. So we were, as I said, we were a CLEC and we provided you know, traditional CLEC services, your, your local private network type services, as well as dedicated services, MPLS. We also sold and maintained Avaya phone systems. So we had a base of a fairly significant base of equipment customers as we referred to them. So that, that was kind of the starting point, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. And so the yes, yeah, so the Avaya PBX business, I'm guessing, you know, is kind of lumpy. You'd sell a PBX every so often, you get some good revenue from that, and then you'd have the lower ongoing revenue from the circuits. Yeah, it was a um, you know with the recurring revenue uh, model on the services side, it was much more steady and balanced. And we're still in the, the hardware business, so you, you see the spikes, the peaks and valleys. Yep. Yep. So what was it that prompted you to decide to add hosted PBX and UCAS to your service offering? Uh, really, the market demanded it. You know, we started to run up against it more and more. And you know, certain customers have made decisions that's the direction they're going. If we had an offering, they'd be certainly interested. But if we didn't. They were going to be moving on. So we probably did it maybe a little more reactive, looking back than 
I wish we were a little bit more proactive in the decision. And it's a big jump and probably a bigger jump than we even realized. So what were your expectations kind of as you were starting out when you thought, okay, the market says we've got to do this. Were you expecting it to be easy? What kind of timeline did you have in mind for getting that going? Well, we kind of took a hybrid step or half step into it. Right now, our business unlimited is our UCAS, what we branded it. It's on the MetaSwitch platform. But we started off via solution. We basically just virtualized the premise-based system. So it wasn't a true hosted situation. Each customer was truly its own instant instance, mm-hmm. just that they were in, in our data center versus the IP office being at the customer location. So you went from selling them a Avaya PBX, which they installed and were responsible for, to hosting your own virtual Avaya PBX that you owned and selling them service off that. Yep. And more of the monthly recurring model versus the upfront capital. Right. And you know, I think it was a good first step for us because really nothing changed other than we did the work and you know, you know, we set the instance up in, in our data center. But from our technician standpoint, there was really no, not a significant learning curve as, as there was when we finally committed to moving full forward with this and then doing it on the meta platform. Yeah. So you changed your revenue model and you gave the customers what they were asking for, but you didn't have to do a big technical uh, forklift change in what yep. you were doing. So why not stick with that? That sounds like a great solution to just stay with. Why did you decide to go go further? It wasn't very efficient. Each customer has his own instance. So, I mean, you're dealing, you're still dealing with individual uh, versus a, like with the meta, it's a true true platform. So, mm-hmm. you know, managing upgrades and those type of things and releases, you were still living that. And then it wasn't, the uh, licensing was was difficult. So it wasn't going to scale for us, that, okay. that model financially. So we started looking at the, we were successful with it. We, we, we quickly um, put out about 1,500 to 2,000 seats. So there was the demand was there. And uh, so we kind of proved the model out that was going to work. We just knew we needed a different licensing model. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. And I think that's a great approach for anybody who's entering a new market or trying a new service is prove it out in a way that maybe isn't the most efficient, doesn't have the best margins, but validates that it's worthwhile, the bigger investment mm-hmm. to get to the better endpoint. Yes. So cool. So then you moved on to the MetaSwitch hosted PBX UCAS platform. Mm-hmm. How did that go initially? It was bumpy. Not necessarily the MetaSwitch platform has been great, but I think that's when we underestimated the effort. Mm-hmm. And we tried to jump in both feet and tried to do almost the Ring Central or 8x8 eight, eight eight model where you ship the phones. And, and I think we truly underestimated you know, what was involved in that. And so it was a bump. You know, the first, first year or so was pretty bumpy. But we learned a lot from it as well. So, yeah, looking back, I wish it wasn't so bumpy. But I'm, <laughs> I, I am glad that we pushed it further than we normally would have because we learned all right, what works, what doesn't work. We learned what our customers truly value in our offering above and beyond just the product. They value us showing up, us being yeah. there and, hold, and, holding, and holding our hands more so than the product itself. And so I think when you try to compete with the national carriers, you're competing against their strength. Right. And so I think we were minimizing, unintentionally, we were minimizing our strengths by trying to compete. Yeah. And uh, versus knowing, well, we need to compete where we're the strongest. And that's being there for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's two really important lessons for anyone listening to this that you've just brought out. One is, you know, walk before you can run, right? This is a hard thing to do to launch this complicated new product. And you've got smart folks in your team. You know, I've met them. I've worked with them a little bit and you are doing all the right things. It's just that taking on a huge complicated change is a bit overwhelming. And so 
yes, um, trimming back a little bit and offering something simpler that you were confident in was a great a great step along the way. And then, yeah, your second point, uh, this idea that you have to play to your strengths and that as a local service provider, one of your key strengths is that you are local, that you have people locally, that you can show up in person to do an install. That is really powerful and if that's what you're selling on, if that's the benefit that you're giving to people, then API to Ring Central are never going to compete against that. Mm-hmm. You know, probably, and then when you came and visited us that one time, one of the things that you said is simplify it. You're new. And at that point, being a small company, we don't like saying no to our customers. So you want to bring your own phones? Yeah, we'll figure it out. You want to do this? Yeah, we'll figure it out. And I think your advice that really rang home to us was, especially when you're starting off, you, you need to standardize and you need to simplify it. And that's hard, particularly because it's actually that's a tension between those two things we just identified. On the one hand, you're local, you're personal, you want to say yes to your customer. On the other hand, you're just getting started, so you need to have something simple. And those two things are in tension at that moment. Um, but you, you did it. You, you know, you managed to figure it out. Yeah, we learned the hard way because we were trying to do everything to everyone. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit. Um, you worked through some of the early issues. Um, it sounds like you did you know, simplify the solution a little bit, had a defined set of phones rather than allowing the customer to bring whatever phone they had. How did things progress from there? Did you run into any other issues as you continue to expand and scale? Uh, yeah. The pandemic. Once we just <laughs> determined that we need to be in front of our customers, you couldn't do that anymore. And so um, just the nature of the world we, everyone's lived through the last 14 months, we had to do things remotely. And that did run, we ran into some challenges as a result. Through MetaSwitch, through their generosity, we were able to offer free uh, Max UC licenses to a lot of our customers, mm-hmm. but we're spinning those off remotely. And then when it came time to customers make a decision whether they wanted to keep them or not, significant portion did. So we're, again, we're doing those installations remotely, but most of them went well, but others, we did have some challenges. And when we got out, we, we could get out there, well, there was poor cabling. Or there's things that had we had the opportunity to be there up front, the, the experience for the customer and certainly the experience for our team members uh, would have been much better. Yeah. It sounds like almost being unable to operate in your normal way during the pandemic highlighted the value of your regular approach of when you couldn't do it. Yeah. It also highlighted the value of the UCAS product. Mm-hmm. Of course, yes. Prior to the pandemic, they, even though it was a, a UCAS type product, people were using it like they're using their, their phone systems to make and receive phone calls for the most part, or you know, get your voicemail to email, but they weren't using any of the advanced features. So April forward, we do the five to 6,000 a month. Yeah. So this UCAS product allowed us to be in a position to meet that demand where a pure premise-based scenario, we would not have been able to respond for our customers like we did. Yeah, I imagine there were a lot of people just setting up call forwarding to cell phones on the PBXs when the pandemic hit. And you, thanks to being forward-thinking enough to have rolled out this product, actually, you were designed for it. You were able to meet the demands and be flexible. Yeah. It was a busy couple of months. Yes, yes, absolutely. A very uncertain and um, scary time. And I'm glad we're getting towards the end of it, fingers crossed. There's one other thing which you did, which was really cool that um, I wanted to mention, um, which is the online customer questionnaire that you put together, which a lot of people have this problem where getting accurate data from the customers about their phone lines, what they have, what features they want, just becomes a a big bottleneck uh, in the process. And I think you saw that problem and then actually decided to to solve it. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, certainly. And I do have to, I'm sure other people who listened uh, within Northland, other people saw the problem and there other people solved it. So I'm certainly not taking credit for their hard, their intuition and, and hard work. But yeah, so we were similar to our premise-based model. We had all these Excel spreadsheets that, to people in the telecom industry made all the sense in the world, but not to our customers. Mm-hmm. And so we'd send them the spreadsheets, trying to get all the information we needed in, in order to successfully install and uh, get the system up and running. And it would take weeks and weeks, if not months, to get the information back. Constant calling and the customers getting frustrated. I have no idea uh, what you're talking about. So our team that referred to as our BU team, our Business Unlimited uh, product, got together with our internal programmers and started working through, all right, how do, how do we solve this? How do we make it easier for our customers? So now after a contract is signed, customers, they get an email from us with a link. They sign in. It's linked to the, their contract and everything. So it knows it's got some intelligence around what they bought and it um, just systematically walks them through the process of uh, this is what you have. You know, you bought 15 phones. So if you try to set up 18, they'll give you an option. No, you're, you're three over the phone, three over. Do you want to get additional phones or did you miscount or something like that? And it breaks it down into chunks. So versus just getting all these random spreadsheets that are, seem unrelated to us, you go through a series of questions and then it, it, it would bring you to the next section and it'd give you a brief overview. All right, now this next six or seven questions are going to relate to this. Uh, so it gives you a little explanation as to how you're going to do that. So that the user has a better understanding of where they're going. Yep. And then when that's all, all said and done, we're able to dump that into the meta switch. Very cool. Yeah, I, I really like what you've done there. I think you know, you, you've taken an area that was causing a roadblock that was difficult and you've invested in making the process smoother and more efficient, um, but even more than the efficiency, it's faster from kind of in terms of elapsed time. Um, and that's really cool what you've done there. Yeah. Okay. So fast forwarding to today, you know, you're several years into this. How do you feel, you know, your solution is now? How's it working? How's the scale gone? Are you glad you, you made the change? Yes, uh, very glad. You know, for a multitude of reasons, as, as I mentioned before, the pandemic. I can't imagine our world had we not made this decision a couple of years in advance, because going through the pandemic and you know it's a big lift to make this transition. So to try to go through those simultaneously would put so much stress on our organization. Yeah, imagining trying to do those first stages at the same time as the pandemic's happening when everyone urgently needs it right now would have been a nightmare. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, so it's still tough. But you know, each day we get a little bit better at it. We're adding more features um, and those type of things, and just working through it. And yeah, it's it's certainly been a success. Yeah, we're certainly not looking back, and glad we made the right decision. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate hearing the story, and I think that will be valuable to others listening. Switching gears a little bit, so I recently discovered that you know Northland is run using a, I guess, a management approach called EOS, and yeah. I'd read several books about this um, previously, but I'd never actually come across somebody who was who was doing it. Mm-hmm. So, for the uninitiated listening, could you tell us a little bit about what EOS is? Sure. EOS stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System, and it's really just a way of running your business. You know, we're, we've been an organization, we've been around for 115 years, and like many small companies, just, you just go do it. And this really forces you to kind of step back, you know, have a plan in place, and, and have a pretty regimented routine that you go through on an annual base, on a quarterly base, and even, even a weekly base that everybody in the organization goes through. You're using consistent terminology. And it really f- just keeps you focused. So you have an annual court, annual planning process where you set out the initiatives for the, for the year. And then you break them down into 90-day increments. 
what are the most important things we need as an organization to do in the next 90 days? And then how are you going to report back on that um, on a weekly basis? So every Tuesday, our executive team has our level 10 meeting. That's an EOS term. And uh, it has the same agenda every single week. Starts off, you talk about almost a little bit personal, a couple of minutes, some good news, both personal and professional. You go into your, your scorecard, your, your metrics that you're reporting back. You talk about the rocks. Those are your goals and objectives for, for that quarter. And then you go, you have your weekly to-dos, some assignments that came out of the last week's meeting. And then you go into the, the most important part of the meeting. And that's where you IDS, you identify, discuss, and solve the key issues that come up as it relates to those rocks. So it's given us a focus that we never had before. Mm-hmm. And uh, a focus and discipline. And it gets away from just endless meetings that just one tangent after next that you walk away, you know, what, what just happened. Right. Yep. How did you um, come across this? Were you thinking, I've got a problem, I need to find a solution? Or did you just hear about it from somebody? I heard about it from somebody. And a book showed up on my desk one day. <laughs> and um, Get a Grip. And that's kind of the story behind you. So that might be one of the ones that you read. And um, it sat there for a couple of weeks. And I was like, I don't know who sent this to me. So I sent it back to the accounting department and said, you know, someone must have ordered a book, but it ended up on my desk. Like A week later, it came back. You know, no, this this is for you. And then I remembered someone that I'm in a network group, a networking group, had read it and thought it was relevant and got a bunch of copies and sent it out. So I read it. And, you know, it's a different way of running your business, a different way of thinking. And some of it's kind of scary. So I'd read it at night and, and uh, I couldn't put it down, but it's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. And some of the things you go through as an organization. But when I got done with it, I was like, this is something we need. But for it to be successful, we need buy-in. Right. And so I got a dozen other copies. They're your executive team, your leadership team is no more than four or five people. There's 12 of us on this team right now. So everyone will have a role here, but we're all agreeing to this will be a smaller executive team move forward. And the team was on board. They recognized that you know how we were operating right now wasn't getting the things done that we needed to get done. So they were on board with it. And you know it, it turned out it was, it'll be three years in July that was, since we've been running it. And it, it's been great for our organization. It's not perfect though. And so like any, there's no one size fits all plan. And I think there's other plans out there, like one page business plan, I think is one I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. And so it does, it gives you focus, makes you far more accountable. You're reporting back on a weekly basis, what you said you were going to do the week before in a very transparent, visible way. Some of the things that I think it doesn't do very well, it oversimplifies things. Like anything else, there's a lot of things that have to be aligned in order for this to work. And as I said, we're three years into it, and and I'm, a, I'm an advocate, uh, we'll continue to use it, but there's some other things that we needed to pull together for us to fully leverage it, and one of them being our culture. So we're, we're getting good rocks and stuff like that, implementing and completing everything, but our culture wasn't quite aligned with it either, so we're still having hitting roadblocks on projects, you know, and been working something through a, another program right now. Uh, focused on our culture and really identified some key challenges. Being a 115-year-old company, the person who works at you, you have a legacy culture that values getting the work done over creating repeatable, trainable, scalable processes. Yep. And and um, when he said you know he said that after meeting with us just a couple of times, um, one-on-one conversations with me before we brought our entire leadership team. 
And it was so painfully obvious. I was a little bit embarrassed that we needed an outsider to say it. But so what we're working on right now that I think is only going to further allow us to leverage our EOS platform. Right now, there's a breakdown in trust between departments, not necessarily the individuals, but they don't necessarily trust the work that's being handed off between departments. And that's creating so much rework for us and inefficiency. And that concept of, you know, for us to grow, we have to be focused on creating high-performing teams versus just high-performing individuals who are high-performing because they just know how to do it. Right. EOS didn't necessarily solve that. And so although it's been a, a huge benefit for us, linking this piece together with EOS, I think is really going to be the trigger point for us. Yeah, it's uh, just listening to it, it's amazing the extent to which the people and the cultural alignment and yeah, the trust, how critical that is to getting work done, which feels like not really a people thing. It's just sit down and do the work, but it's actually all about the people. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the things I always valued at Metaswitch was that... I think in part because of the longevity of the staff and because they often move departments a lot, you often had pretty good trust in between people and there was, you know, very little politics in terms of kind of, you know, people butting heads across departments because often there were relationships there which were strong, which kind of that trust existed. Yeah, trust is critical. I've seen it work well, but also heard lots of stories about where it doesn't work. Yeah, it's very strong within our departments because that's where everyone's working the closest, but then but everything we do is cross-functional. Yeah. So breaking that down, I think, is what's going to truly allow us to leverage EOS. Yep. Um, one thing I'm curious about is, so I can imagine that first conversation with the executive team and even getting that set of people bought in is quite an achievement. But then how does that filter down throughout the organization, all the way to the tips of the organization that, oh, management's got some new crazy plan because Jim read a book and we're going to change everything and everyone's grumbling. That's how I imagine things happening. How did you manage to get alignment through the organization? And what does it even look like as a follow-on for somebody in an individual contributor role? How does it change their life? That's a great question. You know, we worked with an implementer, a certified EOS implementer. Someone came in, works with us for about a year and a half. And he was really integral and really just direct. The executive team's going through this and nobody else is for the first six months. Okay. And uh, it's, it's not a secret mystery society or anything like that. <laughs> but you need, to, you need to build these skills before you just push it out. Because uh, it's a different way of thinking. It's going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be frustrations. Some people may decide it's not for them and, and opt out. So if you... Day one, you, re you read the book and all right, Monday morning, we're all in. It's a recipe for failure. And we were like, no, no, we're, we're fully transparent. If we're going to do this, everyone's going to do it. And he pushed back really hard. And it was against what we, how we normally operate. And um, I said, well, if we're paying him for his expertise. We, we should listen to him. <laughs> and so I said, okay. You know, we shared the organization. You know, this is what we're doing. Uh, but we didn't push it beyond. And then through the, the US methodology is about doing that. And then getting to a point where you feel like you've got it to a level that you're comfortable pushing it to the next level. And then they run it for several months and you push it to the next level. So it gradually seeps down the organization one layer at a time. Yeah. So we were a full year before it got pushed down uh, all the way through the organization. And, you know, there's arguments that it's more valuable in some departments than others, mm -hmm. depending on the nature of the work. So the one size fits all, you know, you've got a team of two and they're, you know, doing the same thing over and over. How valuable is it? So as you get deeper in the organization, 
the weekly meetings can be some of them are biweekly, some of them are monthly, depending. So that's that's one thing you, you make in a case by case decision. You know, where does it make sense? Where is it there are probably fewer issues to IDS to, to discuss yep. and solve at a yep. you know, in a small team near the end of the organization. Yeah. 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 And and even with that though, it's not perfect. There's some groups that to see this frustration, just another meeting that we have to go through. And there's other groups that see great value in it. As a whole, I think it's it's embraced, but I'm, I'm sure some individuals say, why are we doing this? Yep. Cool. Well, um, I appreciate you sharing sharing about that. I know that's possibly more for my own personal interest as much as anything else, because <laughs> I certainly think a lot about you know management and strategy. And yeah, it's great to get to hear about how that's been in real life for you. I do hope that that's also you know, spark some interest in those listening who who do manage a team or an organization. And yeah, there are a variety of books written about EOS. And you said it's called Get a Grip by Jim. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. The two main ones are Get a Grip, and it's a make-believe story, a make-believe company going through the process. And yep. the, the more textbook one is Traction. Right. Yes, I've read Get a Grip. I find business books that are written as a story are easier to read than the ones yes. that just lay out a process. So that's yep. a great book. Wonderful. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. I think we can wrap things up there. If there are people listening who wanted to connect with you or you know, ask you a question or learn more about Northland, what's the best way for them to find you online or get in touch? Okay. My email is jmccarthy, J-M-C-C-A-R-T-H-Y at northland.net. My phone number is 315-671-6222. Yeah. I still uh, not much of a Twitter guy yet. <laughs> yeah, me either. I, I, yeah, I can't do Twitter. <laughs> so, but yeah, I'd be more than glad to, sh- to talk with anybody and share our experiences both with the the, meta- the UCAS platform as well as um, our EOS experience. Cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate you being willing to be available. Thank you very much. So, for those of you listening, if you enjoyed this discussion, then please be sure to join us again for the next episode of VoIP for Independent Telecoms. Thanks for listening today. <laughs>